You know, Graham Goodwin, it certainly feels like the beginning of the year. There's all kinds of new and different things that have happened already. It's time, though, to record the week in sports cars. No, we're not doing another award show. We're getting into our first proper listener Q&A-driven episode of the 2021s brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and your glorious humanity who also looks after the fine dailysportscar.com site let's get rocking and rolling tell us how you're doing then let's go uh i'm doing good it is freezing cold here in the southern part of the uk and just uh, just uh, into darkness record this on thursday evening uh prepping for first flyaway of the year which comes on monday and so next week's uh, weekend sports cars will have me in uh, Dubai for the Dubai 24 hours uh, so that's why you'll be getting a crackly line on that one and no squeaky chair I hope unless there's a squeaky chair in my hotel room but yeah let's get stuck into it and I am indeed as you will point out to me if I don't do it myself the official selector uh, we're going to start this uh, this time which category IMSA. tell us IMSA it, it's going to be IMSA it's and you know IMSA. what IMSA IMSA is the subject of our first of a couple New logos for 2021, by the way. So uh, I think you're looking mighty good. My wife, by the way, made endless fun of the two of us on a recent drive home from chemotherapy, uh, talking about how she's absolutely convinced we spent hours debating, emailing, and sending out polls to determine whether the new logo should have you and I pointing at each other, which we do, right. or uh, not yes. pointing at each other. And it just tickled her to no end. So I just wanted you to know that Mrs. Pruitt, uh, she finds high comedy in our new logo with you and I standing behind uh, the Ferrari France F40. Uh, Jean Alessi drove, uh, making their debut in the 1989 IMSA GTO championship at one of my home tracks, Laguna Seca. So there you go. There you go. Fantastic. Well, on that subject, on IMSA, let's kick off 2021. The first time, first uh, question is going to go to a first time questioner. What? And that's Chris Lemon. Chris says, Happy New Year all. First time questioner, is there a point where there are too many OEM partners interested and not enough P2 makers to support that? For example, he can't see Ford, Chevy, or Toyota and Honda sharing a P2 maker. He knows that's optimistic in, uh, OEM involvement, but just wondering what the solution would be it's a beautiful beautiful point being raised here for sure and talking about not only the current dpi formula in imsa where all manufacturers are required to work with either delara areca Liger, or multimatic going forward into lmdh in 2023 same requirement and same manufacturers and this is certainly something without a doubt chris where there are certainly some national pride aspects that come into play. Uh, for example, we have Acura slash Honda, which has engaged Areca to build its Air X05 DPI, knowing the territorialism, if that's even a word, uh, that can take place, whether it's between Japanese auto manufacturers, German, American, you name it we might struggle to see how a, as you mentioned, a Toyota or name whichever Japanese brand would also try and uh, do a deal to have Areca supply their DPI slash LMDH 
We know that Mazda, for example, engages with Multimatic. So great, two Japanese brands, different constructors. That certainly works. But to your point, I think there is something here that could be an issue if there were heavy subscription from manufacturers in the new LMDH formula. There's another thing to consider here as well, and that is of the three constructors, I'm sorry, of the four constructors, only three have proven to be highly desired by manufacturers. We know that Liger obviously built the Nissan DPIs. Those are actually privately commissioned, privately funded. Nissan was truly little more than a a hired outfit that agreed to put its name uh, to do the badging to make it an official manufacturer vehicle. But everything else was paid for by the former Extreme Speed Motorsports team. Those Ligiers could be competitive. They did win some races, both, you know, big Enduros and small, but they weren't particularly consistent. And that reputation, I would say, Chris, is something that you'd have to imagine might have led some who were looking or some who were pondering what they might do to consider other avenues. So I'm not saying that Liget won't be involved in the uh, LMDH category. Just saying of the four, only three, Delara, Areca, and Multimatic, have been hit up and asked to put cars together in the current DPI formula. Going forward, uh, we'll await formal confirmation, but as I wrote, and I think we might have been the first to say this, the uh, Volkswagen Audi group, Audi with their announcement coming into LMDH and Porsche as well, uh, have been told by multiple, multiple, multiple great sources that Multimatic is their preferred constructor and will be making those vehicles happen. We'd also have to believe that Acura would stay with Areca, knowing that uh, wrote a story last month, Graham, about how Areca is doing a design study on LMDH Mm -hmm. on Acura's behalf right now. That'd be a strange thing to ask for if you weren't thinking about staying with them. If Cadillac slash General Motors were to stay in prototypes and go forward in LMDH, we would think they would stay with Delara. We'd just get to a point where you do have to start to ask, Chris, not just the manufacturer volume. Could that be a bit of a log jam? How many manufacturers might engage with you know, the same constructor? But since we only have four options, there's three that have been highly courted and remain, and one that has not. And could that further uh, create a logjam? So it's a great question. We just know that mm-hmm. if the, some of the manufacturers you listed, say a Ford or a Toyota, uh, a, a Lexus, a Hyundai, a whomever wants to get in, what kind of territorial questions, uh, nation, national origin questions, whatever questions might come into play to remove certain constructors from eligibility. Um, And to that point, who knows if some of those constructors would want to engage with some uh, of the new manufacturers. And I say that because not every manufacturer would necessarily be offering the same budget. And so there comes a point where you say, okay, you're coming here and you want to do this. Great. 
but maybe the budget that manufacturer A is already here is a very solid number, and the ones coming in or one coming in is maybe offering a smaller number. Do we just, do we bother? Do we add people and, and split our efforts? Or do we just say, eh, we'll, we'll just stick with the one we have? There's no rule to close here, Chris. It's a great opening topic. Uh, there's no rule stating that any of the constructors must provide vehicles if asked. This, these are free and open businesses. There's nothing that can legally uh, demand uh, constructor A to build a car from manufacturer B. So that's a yet another layer of fun, isn't it, Chris? So, yeah, uh, let's just say there, there are some potential pitfalls and landmines uh, ahead, depending on how many manufacturers really truly want to get into LMDH. Yeah, I get two quick points on this one. The first is from much earlier in this debate, certainly Orica were reporting publicly they had multiple potential customers for uh, what was then DPI2. Um, they've also since then reported that they would, if asked, also restart an LMH program. Um, the other point, I guess, of question here, MP, is there is surely a massive plus here for manufacturers who are early adopters. In other words, being the first through the door to influence the design of the LMP2 chassis, because they will be LMP2 chassis only in the second year of these chassis, so the year after they're an LMDH car. Um, there's a massive plus there if you're the manufacturer uh, with the money on the table first to, well, effectively design into that chassis any uh, small aspects of design that would be preferable for whatever engine choice you are putting in there as a manufacturer, you would guess. Um, let's move on, though. Uh, next up, it's uh, we've just had a first-time questioner. Here's one that certainly isn't. Ryan Terpstra, uh, hi, Ryan, says, uh, is Daytona full speed ahead? He knows the series can operate relatively safely during the pandemic. He knows Florida doesn't care what people do. So the Rolex is happening in a couple of weeks. And then Super Sebring, question mark? Yeah, so just filed a story maybe an hour ago on this, Ryan. No, after reaching out to IMSA and asking for some insights, was told that, yes, based on all current indicators and whatnot, that they are going ahead as planned with the Roar Before the 24, Rolex 24 Daytona, and Super, or, I'm sorry, shouldn't say Super Sebring, and Sebring question here is whether sebring will indeed be super no this is the imsa category but in this question graham it certainly bleeds over knowing that for the last what uh two years i know that only one of them went off last year's was canceled but the last two years we were meant to have imsa and WEC playing together on that mid march date creating the uh, super sebring event been hearing for a little bit and i keep hearing the number is getting worse uh, that the WEC appearance at Sebring is 50-50 at best, and seemingly each day that number tilts in a less favorable direction. So if you are an IMSA fan and just consider the WEC being at Sebring an added bonus compared to 
Weck being there being maybe the primary reason for your wanting to go. Get ready to go. I don't know how many tickets are going to sell, but you might be able to go. If having the WEC there is mandatory for you to show up, this sounds like it might not be a year where uh, you would be satisfied. So I know uh, I I am pretty confident we're going to get word here before too long. I think the kind folks at the WEC, some of them have been will be trickling in here from holiday and whatnot sometime soon. I don't know exactly when this might get decided, yay or nay, but I keep hearing that there are a lot of folks preparing for a nay and possibly the W season starting a little bit later than originally intended at Sebring. So nothing official, just the indicators that you and I get, Graham, are pointing in a non-favorable direction at the moment. Uh, in terms of holding a super Sebring, but there will indeed be a 12 hours of Sebring, uh, barring some unforeseen changes that come along between now and then related to COVID-19. Yeah, we're in a world at the moment where de-risking things is certainly a bit of a buzz topic. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of this in the coming weeks and months. Let's move on. And next up is from Lance Snyder. Uh, so we asked a question previously, and because he didn't, uh, we, he, we didn't answer it, he must berate and threaten, apparently. Yes. So, uh, so he says, answer unless you want uh, at dog underscore DSC treats to mysteriously disappear. It, frankly, Lance, he does a pretty good job of making them mysteriously disappear <laughs> anyway. Uh, with the bumper crop of LMP2s, the 24, do you think they'll actually get coverage during the broadcast, MP? The only way I know that would happen lance is if you continued to make dog treat related threats and just extended them to imsa and nbc uh kidding aside i would have to hope so i can't say yes because i'm not in charge of production at nbc sports yet but <laughs> the the quick answer i can give here is we are expecting to see a pretty darn good grid of P2s. Yet another entry uh, announced this morning from the uh, what was it? Win Racing, Win Autosport, Win something or other. They'll be rocking well, up with a new Areca or with an Areca, I should say. Yep. Uh, we're expecting. Uh, plus, go ahead. Plus, but plus MP the pretty darn fine. Um, driver announcement for high-class racing with Robert Kubica and uh, Ferdinand Habsburg uh, turning up for that one too. Yes, so thinking we're going to be 10-ish maybe, uh, we could have a really solid uh, P2 grid, or we will have a very solid P2 grid at Daytona. I would think, Lance, the, the real answer to the question here would come in the form of the complaints. The high, I know that P2 is not much compared to some of the other classes, and we're not pro, and it's not sexy, and whatever. Often, some of those complaints get leveled in GTD as well. The If you're not running in the top two or three in GTD, that you never know or even here. These concerns and complaints I know have been received enough times to make me believe there will be a pretty solid uh, effort made to show all the classes. We even have LMP3 coming in, so now there's five to manage. My guess is there will be a pretty solid effort to make sure that 
uh, few, if any, of the teams and drivers are able to complain uh, once the race is over. Last little thing to add here, Graham, before we move on, and we're trying to do a bit of a, a shotgun episode here because I'm on a pretty limited time frame. We also have a case where coming off a really rough 2020 season where not a lot of sponsors got all the love that they had paid for and hoped to get, I'm guessing that's going to be part of the messaging too. Whatever we can do. If there's no re, you know, if the car running seventh in LMP2, nine laps off the leader, uh, it, even if they're doing nothing, if you can isolate them on track for a lap or two or whatever it is, just make a real solid effort. Right now I'm hearing the entry list total gram is going to be over 50, right? Excellent. Uh, not Again, not formal, not, not confirmed, but I'm hearing they've gone past at least uh, the informal car count, and I've run the math myself, and it does look like they're now over 50. Across a 24-hour race, you'd start doing division and addition and, I don't know, multiplication, subtraction, something. You do the math and say over 24 hours, uh, we can find time to visit with each of those 50 entries at some point in time to make sure everyone goes home satisfied. Big race of the year, biggest race of the year, opener, coming off a bad season for everybody. There's no excuse to not give plenty of love. Great stuff. Let's move to Noah Stein. And that's another name I don't recognize. But uh, so if you are first time Noah, very welcome. Uh, he asks, who's the biggest threat to win the GTD title this year now that two-time consecutive champs, Mayor Shank Racing, has a Mayor Shank Racing have left the class? I would have to point towards the two that came closest to winning it but didn't, uh, plus another, which is a perennial and past champion. So these are all subject to formal confirmations, or I shouldn't say all. Some of them have been confirmed, but we believe Paul Miller Racing is going to be in for the full season. You certainly can't look past them at any time. So consider them Wright Motorsport, same exact lineup as last year that nearly won the title, really surged uh, in the second half of the season. They would definitely be a front runner. And I think we'd be silly to look past the uh, no longer aim Vassar Sullivan, just the straight up Vassar Sullivan team. Um, I mean, Barring a, a freak incident, not of their making at Sebring, they probably would be the defending champions. So, no Meyer Shank is going to be strange, but I would say we are, will not be lacking in uh, in quality quality combatants. It's also just going to be a big year of change in GTD. We'll talk more about that when we do our probably week of the Rolex Twenty Four. Uh, episode Graham, you know, maybe a little preview ish, but yeah, it is going to be a big year of change in GTD, but it's not, there will not be lacking in talent. And there's also some more fun announcements coming in GTD. Uh, Graham and I discussed one that isn't quite ready for mentioning on the show, but, uh, we know of, uh, one driver in particular, and there are more announcements, driver announcements coming, but there's one in particular that had Graham and I just giggling because we're like, Oh, it's just awesome. Uh, can't wait for that to be, uh, publicly revealed. So quite looking forward to uh, more fun there. Good stuff. Matt Anderson moves back to LMDH, uh, says he was originally going to ask whether Audi would still use their longtime partner Yoast for the LMDH program. Um, 
considering they're less than stellar tenure with Mazda. Then saw today that Glickenhaus will be partnering with them for their LMH programme. Should this be read as Audi passing on Yoast this time in favour of another team, or do they plan on doing more of a customer-centred programme instead of a heavily funded factory-focused programme similar to what they used to run? Lots of words there, but the, the question's pretty clear. Uh, is Yoast going to be uh, working with Audi or not? Heard nothing, Matt, to indicate that Yoast will be involved in any way. Um, Going to roll in the uh, similar topic from Tom Bacon. Any drivers been sounded out for Audi and Porsche's LMDH programs? Of course. Yes, Matt. Yes, Tom. Um, overriding thing here, Matt, and I might end up referencing this once or twice in some of the remaining questions, uh, did a pretty deep dive or two uh, in what, I think late November, and in December, Graham, on the topic of Audi and Porsche and LMDH, talking about motors, talking about chassis, talking about approaches in terms of customer and factory, and also seeking new teams to work with. New could be have never worked with before, or could be, hey, we haven't done this together for a long time, but we're coming back. I just know for sure in this specific question, Matt, about Yoast, but I've heard zero about them being involved in anything related to LMDH, either in WEC or IMSA. Maybe the, I don't know how to say this in the kindest way possible because they do deserve all kindness that is possible. The Yoast Racing Organization that served as a very significant uh, foundation for Audi's many, many years of prototype racing. That organization that we think of with R8s, R10s, R18s at Le Mans, ALMS, wherever, they're no longer that same organization. Uh, Personnel-wise, leadership-wise, engineering-wise, etc., etc. So that's not downplaying Yost Racing's skills or capabilities in 2021, Matt, but the architects, the individuals who we can point to and say, Ooh, that was a, he was a huge player in making this aspect of Audi's uh, big factory prototype team succeed. And this person and that person, uh, there, there aren't many of those people left. Therefore re-engaging with a Yoast uh, by Audi, it would almost be like, other than Reinhold Yost himself, it would almost be like meeting uh, and uh, we're collaborating with a brand new organization with all new players you've never met. Therefore, the provenance that was established during you know, 15, 16, 17 years, however many it was, uh, in collaboration there, it'd almost be like starting over on day one with an entirely new group with none of that provenance. Uh, absolutely right. I have to tell you, I did indeed speak to Yost Racing, Yost Racing, or a couple of uh, sources around Yost Racing, just a few weeks ago, sniffing out a different WEC-related story to do with that team. I think it's another part of this. The players, isn't it, in this game, MMP, just <sighs> circling, uh, waiting for 2023. Drivers, teams, 
you name it, everybody just basically looking for their best route into what everybody is hoping is going to be effectively a relaunch for you know a global top class. Um, sticking with LMDH, we move to Spirits of Franconia at Hotel underscore Oscar. Do we have to be concerned about Mazda not having announced an upcoming LMDH program? Am I the only one not having heard any rumours and being upset by the downsizing of their DPI engagement? You are indeed the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on your... You're, yes, it's all you. Uh, I mean, how many LMDH Program confirmations do we have in total? Two? Audi and Porsche? Right? Yep. I mean, again, we know we kind of expect Acura, knowing the design study commission, etc. But I would just say we've got two so far. We expect plenty more, but I would not have any concern about this. I'm not saying they will commit. I don't know if they will. I don't think they know if they will. But I've only heard positive things spoken about LMDH. I think I've written about them. I believe in the latest issue of Racer Magazine, the LMD Convergence story. Uh, LMD. Uh, LMH slash LMDH Convergence story. Um, Nelson Cosgrove, director of Mazda Motorsports, only spoken warmly and positively about lmdh does that mean nelson's opinion is therefore equivalent to mazda's going to join in no but i would say for him to have positive opinions you would assume some investigation and studies into costs and etc etc would have been done so i would not let the uh happiness concerned uh pooping my pants meter move towards concerned or pants pooping yet spirit of franconia i would just suggest that two menu the first two manufacturers have confirmed within the last what graham 45 days or whatever the exact time frame has been uh this formula doesn't launch for another what 24 months and two and a half weeks or so. Um, but but uh, worth adding as well, MP, that in the case of one of those, they had something else where they needed good news to, to balance the bad, which was Audi withdrawing from Formula E. So uh, that, that's news management. That's exactly what that is. That's uh, them managing a message that they are not pulling out of global motorsport that they've got something else coming um so but you're absolutely right the key point there is we've got a long time to go yet so what i would say is look for more confirmations to come where mazda might fall on that timeline if they were to indeed join in i can't say because i don't believe they actually know there is one thing uh and i'll have to look into it again but i do know that mazda uh, obviously we're talking about Mazda North American operations, MNAO, which is behind the, uh, DPI program. We do know that they look directly to Japan for budget approval and the Japanese fiscal calendar is certainly on a different rotation than many others. 
So in order to get approval uh, and have that written into the budget, I'll have to inquire uh, within Mazda to see if and when they might know, uh, because I do know that it might be different on a different timeline than uh, most other manufacturers based on uh, when budgeting must be submitted and approved. Yeah, that's something, if I recall correctly, was an impact on the, oddly enough, the Yoast contract, was it not, uh, at the end of that so, yeah, let's wait and see. Hashtag wait and see Woo-hoo. gets its first mention in 2021. Neil Hardy, following the signing of Zach Veach by AIM Vassar Sullivan, not AIM anymore, for the Lexus GTD program, are you aware of any other single-seater rising stars about to switch to sports cars? And if so, can you give any hints as to who those might be? Switch is the operative word here. Super happy for Zach, by the way, had known about him heading to the uh, the Vassar Sullivan Lexus operation for a little while. And just, yeah, he got a raw deal uh, to close out his IndyCar career. So happy to see him heading there. Only other one I could say might be primed for a switch, but would be a little bit more complicated because Zach still has a, a few sponsors behind him. Uh, but Oliver Askew, does not mm-hmm. Oliver ask you whose uh, IndyCar career came to an end as well at the end of 2020 is certainly working and angling to try and get back in. I know he is on the radar of the Dale coin racing team, which our dear French fry Sebastian Bourdais once drove for. So I know that Oliver is still doing his best to try and land another opportunity in IndyCar, but with his upcoming run, uh, first time run, first sports car race ever coming up here at the Rolex 24 in the LMP3 class with the uh, Rally Motorsports slash Robinson rake, uh, Racing entry. Uh, our boy Askew, I would say, barring a big surprise from Dale Coyne, um, probably going to be finding homes in IMSA more than anywhere else for the immediate future. So can't really think well, of any other big well, American open wheel. Uh, that, yeah. Be- uh, that before way. you move off, Mr. Before you move off, Mr. Askew, I should tell you that um, that is a name that has been mentioned in more than one conversation in sports cars outside of him, sir. Yes, yes, I uh, am aware of such things, and hope that the <laughs> young lad who is just phenomenally talented uh, does indeed find something good uh, that he can really you know, get hold of and stay in for a nice long time. So that's really the only one that I know of. Uh, We did see Indy Pro 2000 champ heading to Indy Lights, Kyle Kirkwood, driving and I think really surprising and starring in his uh, Lexus debut with Aim Vassar Sullivan late last year. I would not be surprised if he's back doing some more endurance races, but in terms of kind of full-timers, ones are jumping over... I don't even know if Oliver has anything beyond Daytona in IMSA, but my guess is once the team and other teams see him uh, go super quick like a bunny, there's probably going to be a number of inquiries as well uh, to see if he might be able to continue driving or move over and drive for others. Okay, move forward, and we're going to go to Andre Good. Good. Um, does Tans and Bell have another ride uh, lined up with Zach Reach taking his spot, or is he focusing in 2021 more on his broadcasting duties? I am. I spoke with Townie on, I don't remember, Monday or Tuesday, and said, hey, want me to mention anything in the 
Zach Veach story about what you might be doing this season. And he said, nah, don't worry about it. Or, you know, nah, no need. He was skiing with his son and didn't really, couldn't be bothered. First of all, gotta love Townie priorities. Um, I interviewed a driver yesterday for a story I've yet to put out who was, uh, you want to talk about, uh, no problems in life. Uh, if skiing is good for Townie and his son, this driver returned my call while standing on a yacht in St. Bart's. So <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I, I don't want to hear any complaints from you. I believe your life is going fairly, fairly well. Um, Townie said, no, no. Though, it's, it was an off-season gig as an anchor, but uh, there you go. It was Christoph Bouchou. Um, uh, actually, it was Scott Tucker. I was really surprised. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, someone tracing our call? Aren't you supposed to be in prison? Um, Townie said, nah, don't worry about it, man. Uh, that'll come out next week. <laughs> so uh, there is news coming, Andre, about Townie and his uh, what he's doing this coming season in IMSA. I happen to know what it is, but uh, he said, nah, you know. Please don't put anything out. Uh, that'll get handled next week uh, by the team. So we'll be broadcasting. Uh, we'll also be driving as well. Uh, I don't think it's going to be full-time, though, but we'll find out um, exactly the extent. Uh, let's see. Why don't we rattle through a few more? I think I can knock out a lot of them quickly, Graham. Oh, sure. Then we can dive into whatever you call next. Uh, yeah, I think let's crack on with uh, Chris Ward. Uh, first off, he says, wonderful logo. Thank you very much for that. I hope you guys had a good holiday with the family. I did. Um, cautiously optimistic, he said, for the growth of LMP2 at him. So his concern is that after Sebring, he'll be able to count the number of cars in the class on one hand. What say you, Marshall Pruitt? I think that might have been phrased almost that exact way by IMSA President John Doonan in a story about uh, prototype car counts specifically p2 and p3 for the upcoming season so yeah once we get into the non and once we move into the call it normal non-enduro start of the season there is not an expectation in p2 to need more than one hand to count full-time cars even though five-ish four to five is not something we would celebrate Compared to what we've had the last year or two, that would be a doubling or more of full-time entries. So um, I'll take it. Yep, absolutely. In this in this climate, particularly. Uh, next up, uh, Jacinda Davali. Uh, I do apologise. Do we know of any modifications the LMP3 cars of Daytona to allow them to run for the full 24 hours? Last year, apparently, I brought up the point these cars are originally designed for shorter races. I think have only ever actually run. Uh, 24 or 25 hours at Thunder Hill and one car in the Brick Car 24, I think. I think other than the introduction of the CD multi-changer for the cars, I'm not sure you can do much with them. So, Jetinder, thank you for your question. I would refer you to the aforementioned article that I wrote and published. I think that came out uh, last week of December. I mean, genuinely within the last 7 to 10 days. Uh, Long-form interview with John Doonan about LMP2 and LMP3. And in that interview, there are indeed questions asked and answered about modifications and reliability concerns about LMP3. So I would point you there, my friend, racer.com, and uh, do a little bit of uh, use the search function, and you shall find some answers. And if those don't answer everything you want, don't be afraid to send in uh, the same question again with more specific uh, items for us to cover. 
Also just want to say thanks to those who are submitting for the first time. And we really do love it. Not only yep. when that happens, but sometimes we're dumber -er than usual. Please tell us, Hey, first time, you know, first time, long time, whatever it is, let us know when you're writing in for the first time and we will uh, make a variety of threats and congratulations. So, Absolutely. I mean, it has been an absolutely bumper bundle uh, for this first show of the year. Brennan Kratzer, what are the chances of having Penske back at him through the near future? Is the Cadillac Ganassi program just a one-year deal? He chucks in for good measure. Well, I would say, Brandon, yet again, and this is not meant to be plugging my work, your work, or whatever, but separate from the podcast, we write a fair amount of stuff each week that answers all these questions and more. So Penske coming back to IMSA, you would find that topic covered on racer.com in some of the aforementioned Audi and Porsche LMDH content that came out in December. And I believe in there as well. Uh, you'll also find stuff about the Ganassi Cadillac program. So uh, I'm not usually averse to covering ground that's already been covered, but Having written about these things extensively, I might just suggest uh, taking a look on racer.com each day and dailysportscar.com each day to see what kind of new offerings you might find in the world of sports it's moving, car content. It's, it, it's moving so quickly. We've seldom had a period, certainly an off-season period, with as much significant news uh, in recent years. It has been completely crackers, it's got to be said. And you, uh, Damien Peachman. Let me just throw this out Sorry? quickly just as a of course. appreciation. Using past shows as an example, it takes about an hour to get through a thousand words of questions. So again, it, it's sometimes a little more, a little less, but in general for every thousand words of questions sent in, we need about 60 minutes. This first show of 2020, no joke would take us four and a half hours to complete. If we, <laughs> if we answered every question. And so that's not a complaint. There's nothing negative about that at all. If anything, no. it's a, I wish we had, four and a half hours to do it. We don't, uh, my wife and I have physical, her physical therapy to go to here shortly today, but, um, thank you because I don't know if we've had, we've, we've ever had that volume of words and questions come in. I know between IMSA and WEC Aslam Elms, ACO alone, uh, I believe we're over 60 questions and that's yep. not even talking about, our general category or our fun category. So, uh, heck, uh, time depending if we're really bored, Graham, we might even try and do a second episode this weekend. I don't know. Uh, uh, you're I'm getting ready. Weekend. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. So I can do it while I'm ironing and packing time permitting. <laughs> we might try and get, cause there's so many and there's no way we could do it. Plus no one's going to listen to a four and a half hour podcast. So, um, just wanted to share that little appreciation, but also that's why, um, you know, Brandon and some of the others, uh, Jet Tinder, rather than repeat a lot of things that have that are already sitting there waiting for you, would highly advise just uh, partaking in both websites and doing a little bit of search functioning and uh, keeping up with all the goodness we're pooping out. Absolutely, Damien Peachman. Would a potential Lexus LMDH program be U.S. only? Could it race at Le Mans? Bearing in mind, of course, the Toyota hypercar. I've only heard about U.S. In that regard, Damien, and Graham's note about Toyota 
is mm-hmm. the uh, the most press, prescient item here, if that's even the correct word to use, uh, knowing that they have LMH covered off. What could be fun, if that were to happen, and we hope it happens, is a converged thing where Toyota's fighting against Lexus. Uh, and, yeah, I know when Audi and Porsche go up against one another, for example, say, well, hey, they're same of the part of the same automotive family. Very true. This is actually the same. <laughs> you know, this yep. isn't a big blanket of independent manufacturers. Lexus, it was created by uh, Toyota as its luxury uh, representative. So, yeah, uh, that might be weird. Uh, that might be awkward, but I love awkward. So, but yeah, Damien, if, if that were to happen, I've only heard about running in the good old US of A for a Lexus LMDH. Uh- Joshua Kennedy, any updates on P3 entries for the WeatherTech Championship? Will any of them step up from the prototype challenge? Yes, Josh wrote about that in the John Doonan LMP2, LMP3 article that went up over the holidays. So please check that out on racer.com. Okay, and uh, Scott Bell says, hey, Marshall, after reading your conversions theory article in Racer, highly recommends everybody buys a copy of it. He's filled with the impending doom of LMH and LMDH conversions being a disaster, or should he fully expect a golden age of competition and car diversity? That's that's what I call hedging my bets. Yes. Uh, I'm an optimistic so, guy, Scott. So much depends, doesn't it, on this BOP process being spot on yeah i'm an optimistic guy but i'm also a realist too and right now it could be a bit of a poop show the bop side is the biggest thing to get figured out we have this new factor as well to consider and i know we're a couple years off from this happening uh with convergence but we know that peugeot's coming in so that's great on the lmh side we know that glickenhaus they're not going to make the season opener at, Se- uh, at Sebring, provided Sebring actually happens. So, okay, hypercar is probably not going to be all that glorious to look at when it launches. Car count-wise, manufacturer tally-wise, but there should be enough to warrant converging, right? I mean, if there's just Toyota and a Baikalis, and I'm just, you know, worst-case scenario, wacky scenario, if we're talking one or two manufacturers, by the time we get to 2023, would either side say, yeah, let's converge and do this whole BOP thing? If the t- scales are tipped so heavily in one formula's favor, probably not. But assuming everything goes forward as planned, and we're hopeful, of course, that we get a new LMH announcement from somebody, if we've got Peugeot with two cars and who knows if they might do more, there might be customer opportunities. We've got Toyota with two cars. Who knows, again, if there could be any more of those. If Bicolis is more than Vaporware, if Glickenhaus's program not only gets up and running but is around, you know, is enduring and stays around and is here in 2023, in theory, we have enough vehicles on the LMH side to make this whole wacky BOP attempt, something to attempt. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, that's, but then we still have a pretty big task to handle. And we've talked about this plenty of times before in the show, so I don't, I'm not going to do any kind of deep dive, but the issue here that's going to make BOP in this convergence 
attempt, Scott, problematic is since they couldn't, they, meaning the ACO, the WC, and IMSA, could not agree to a single top prototype class, we've been left with everybody getting the highly specific thing that they want, and that's where the problems come from. IMSA, rear-wheel drive only, hybrid only allowed at the back of the car, not powerful. Hypercar, you can be hybrid, non-hybrid, naturally aspirated, turbocharged. You can be all-wheel drive with the hybrid up front. You can be just strictly rear-wheel drive, non-hybrid, yada, yada, yada. Uh, You have a fairly big performance difference right now, Scott, and I, I can't really... I shouldn't get into it, so I won't, but I've heard some more recent predictive analysis that's been done that paints the potential lap times of an LMH versus an LMDH as massively different. And I, you know, I don't mean like, hey, we're going to put 20 kilos on them LMHs and we'll be all good, but like, holy poop, we already brought the power number down to try and equalize that. And we tried to do it with, and we've done it with weight, but even so, uh, LMH cars have the great potential to come in extremely light and then ballast themselves up and at least at the moment, freedom to put that ballast where they want. Um, there's Mm -hmm. there's just a, because they couldn't agree, Scott, there are so many little individual factors that affect performance that will make whatever we currently know as standard balance of performance tools to try and balance is going to stress them to levels we have never experienced before in any form in any class of sports car racing it's it's worth adding too and for an explanation of this scott take a look at the piece we wrote for daily sports car if you search it under persia you'll find it uh, when they revealed the details of their uh, technical package and i have to say something in there that wasn't obvious to me in all the discussions we've had plenty of them with the uh, rule makers is the way in which the performance the maximum power can be delivered so you have a prime mover uh, an, an internal combustion engine you have a uh, hybrid system which can indeed as marshall says deliver power to the front wheels um as uh, you know as per reg but what is also the case is that you can effectively use all that power all the time. You can have an engine that delivers maximum power up to the maximum combined level all the time until the hybrid cuts in, at which point the engine power is reduced and then the engine power is back to where it was. What that means is you get four-wheel drive where you most need it. Uh, and that means particularly, as we've seen with the uh, outgoing LMP1 uh, hybrids, uh, their punch out of the corners is an extraordinary thing to behold. This is a massive task uh, for BOP. We do at least have the opportunity for that to be practiced uh, with the 2021 uh FIWEC with a grandfathered LMP1, the Alpine X Rebellion car, with a hybridized LMH, the Toyota, 
and when available with a non-hybrid LMH, the Glickenhaus. Um, so we're going to, I think we're going to see pretty quickly, MP, whether or not they're on their A game. Yeah. So that's what makes this such a concern, Scott. Um, part of me wonders if there will come a point in time where we're just going to say we're not converging. Doesn't mean we wouldn't race together, but maybe it's just, hey, the podium on the LMH class is this, the podium of the LMDH class is that. Um, but then you obviously have potential squabbles over overall winner. You know, neither series wants to, quote, lose to the other. So if one class is drastically faster than the other, all of a sudden the non-excellent formula is looking like the proverbial P2 class to the P1s that uh, just dominated. I mean, brother, look, again, I'm an optimist, but, man, I'm also a realist, and this just looks messy. Uh, I don't know how they untangle it, but it's not like we haven't said that a thousand times before, Graham. Righto, how are we doing on time, MP, or do we, we need to move on? We need to blast off and get into some Weckasm Elms, Aiko, because, I mean, granted, uh, we have more questions in IMSA than we do Weckasm Elms, Aiko, but uh, let me just look here at, at some of the remainders that I might be able to answer super quickly. Uh, Scott also asked, what's the difference between P2 and P3? Brother, I mean, that's an episode in and of itself. Why would someone run the one over the other? Uh, P3 is obviously kind of the, the training wheels first, attempt at prototype compared not, to p2 not a, not a full carbon not a full carbon chassis less power uh so it's a it's a carbon tub with a roll cage steel roll cage significantly less technology vastly cheaper yeah i mean i'm hearing for annual budgets in imsa knowing that lmp3 has just been introduced as a weather tech championship class something on the order of about a million dollars less per year uh but yeah yep. p3 is the introduction to prototype racing class p2 is the where it's not factory but we're pretty darn close in terms of speed and capability so that's why one would choose one over the other scott also asked can you explain the difference between and the michelin pilot challenge series grand sport and touring car um yes one is gt4 based the other one is tcr based uh you also ask is there a technological barrier to these teams competing in gt daytona or say gt world challenge yes gt daytona is gt3 only therefore gt4 and tcr would not be allowed uh kevin frederico asks about porsche lmdh powertrain mentioning that i had written and uh that they are leaning towards the Cayenne Twin Turbo V8, yes, uh, again, I've heard that they're doing more than leaning. It is uh, what they would use. Um, says, is that because they've seen how dominant the Cadillac V8s are? It's the best course of action. Uh, again, Kev, uh, I know, yeah, you've asked a number of questions like this over the years that are similar. When Porsche is deciding what engine to use, they're not looking at another brand and saying, well, then we should do what they do. They're looking in their arsenal of engine options and saying, this is what we believe best fits us uh, for what we're trying to do, both competition-wise, but also marketing and promotions. Uh, John Richter, you ask, when is the entry list going to be revealed for the Daytona 24? Um, from what I know, because I've asked, it should be here roughly the middle of next week. Um, mm -hmm. He also says, is the addition of LMP3 to the big show affecting the car counts of the feeder series? Not that I've seen. Not really. Um, 
Mike Chrisloff, you asked what happened to the Ford GT that Ben Keating had or has. Could that still run in GTLM? Uh, he owns it. Yes, that's his. Could it still run? Yes, it's still legal. The support package that is commanded by Ford Performance could probably buy you a season of LMP3 racing. So uh, ain't cheap, brother. That's why it's not running. Um, Ed Joris says, assuming GTE-based GTLM is going away for 2022 uh, and the C8 Corvette is orphaned, uh, is that the end of the uh, runway for the car, uh, or would it be modified to compete in GT3 Pro? Um, I've only heard that those manufacturers competing in GTLM this year would go along with whatever IMSA decides to do for 2022 and beyond, meaning if GTLM were to be retained or if it were to be turned off and replaced by GT3 Pro. And I'm going to try and put together a little commentary on that here shortly. Last thing here, Nick Dovniak says, could a manufacturer use an LMP2 chassis but put in their own hybrid system and run in LMH rather than using the stock hybrid system offered in uh, LMDH, LMD Husky? Um, this would save the cost of developing their own chassis but allow for a more customized hybrid showcase that's a great, a great question. question yeah I, I think the answer is i think the answer is they could yeah uh but they wouldn't be able to do that before 2023 because those chassis aren't going to be available before then and you'd also have to ask whether in those instances um it may very well be that's the basis of what we talked a little earlier about what Orica were thinking about i can't believe that you'd be talking about two completely different chassis uh, if they were going to make an lmdh and lmh my guess is there would be common elements involved in that design uh, but it is a great question um and it might well be that that's part of what we're talking about here when we've said in previous editions of weekend sports cars that uh, there is currently certainly still live manufacturer interest in Le Mans hypercar. I am hearing that there are indeed more Le Mans hypercar programs uh, or certainly evaluations underway, multiple more uh, for coming seasons, not for 2021, but beyond that, I think there is still a very strong case for watch this space. I think we are not only watching the space, we're moving on. Uh, to whatever Indeed. you say we're moving on to. Well, we're going to move on to Weck, Aslam's, Elms and Aco, our, uh, our, our word for the uh, for the ACO rules racing. And again, another bumper bundle of questions, which I've lobbed your way with some uh, favorite ones. We'll try to get some more if we do get to a second edition for the week. Uh, what are you going to chuck up your first here? Holy cow, we got a lot of questions, man. Uh, we're going to go with our pal Daniel Summers Go. Wouldn't be an episode of the Week in Sports Cars without Daniel. It says, do you think the very strong inter-Europol competition WEC lineup could make them potential title contenders? Hashtag me personally. He says it is definitely their strongest lineup. Well, I mean, the answer is it is very strong. Uh, Cooper, Schumowski with Alex Brundle and for all bar the Sebring race, Renga van der Zander is an absolute corker uh, of a lineup. Um, we're going to have, uh, if, well, we, I presume whatever race does replace Sebring, if the WEC don't go there, uh, Elio Castroneves in the car for that replacement race with Renga busy uh, with the Ganassi program. Uh, it is, but it does seem to me, MP, that with every kind of 
move forward the LMP2, there seems to be yet another really strong um, lineup coming forward. I am aware of several more eye-openingly amazing lineups to come. We had another one this morning uh, with the uh, Jota Sports revealing that uh, they're going to have uh, a really quite a, a, an astonishing uh, lineup for the car they're going to put into the Asia Le Mans series and uh, WEC, or one of two rather, that's due for the WEC and Asia Le Mans series. Uh, it's going to just carry on, I think, in, in that kind of um, in that kind of upward spiral. But we've got Sean Galeel, uh, ex um, GP2 racer, Stoffel van Dorn, ex uh, McLaren Formula One racer, and Tom Blomqvist, uh, ex BMW factory driver in a Jota Sport car for WC and Asia Le Mans in LMP2. We've got all manner of drivers. It seems diving into any opportunity they can to get into LMP2, including the likes of Christopher Meese, Nicky Team, Kelvin van der Linde, uh, who are popping up with all sorts of opportunities to get aboard an LMP2 car. This again is that point, isn't it, MP, about not just the manufacturers, but the drivers looking to basically put down a marker for manufacturer teams and the, the major privateer teams to consider their availability and services for when we get to 2023 in LMDH. There we go. Let's see, we're going to go with, uh, I'm not exactly sure who's asked this question. Buter, possibly. Uh, Porsche said their LMDH program fills a gap for their three-engine concepts of hybrid, uh, but with a spec hybrid, there is no development, no research in hybrid powertrains for Porsche. Uh, Why do they choose LMDH over LMH to develop hybrid engines? Well, they're not you choosing it to develop the engine, I think, is the point. It's branding and marketing. It's as simple as that. Demonstrating. They will – absolutely. They, 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 the reality is it will be their engine um, aboard that car. But the reality here is this is very much a branding and marketing exercise to show effectively their engineering excellence will be shown if they beat another brand. It's pretty old-fashioned stuff. Um, you know, I, I think you know the other, the other point here is remember some of those other golden eras of racing – weren't very many production-based engines based in those uh, those cars, and it may may well be that it's much the same uh, in this next, we hope, golden era. So the answer there is it's all down to budget. It's as simple as that. To get a major global program over the line, uh, absolutely the key point here was, was two things. One was the bottom line. Two was the predictability of that bottom line. That They, they, are, they are looking at this as being a multi-year program, and because you're not going to have that escalation in engine and hybrid uh, drivetrain development in LMDH, that you can effectively write your three, four, five-year budget in year one without having to put, you know, in rather muddy terms, what your development budget might have to be, because it shouldn't have to be. In exactly the same way as you shift around with GT3 budgets and development budgets when you change the model, the reality is that this should be something where you've got a predictable budget at a relatively low level for multiple years. That was the key to LMDH uh, getting through the board at Audi, and I'm sure at Porsche as well. Okay, we're going to yostify ourselves once or twice. Uh, Jetender's yep. back says, what do you believe is the involvement of Yoast with our pals at Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus. Says, I hear Yoast are likely to be in the WC in 2021. 
could this be their involvement or are they allegedly going for a P2 entry? I know you've already been in that road a little bit, Graham. Many um, thanks for the amazing show. Well, thanks. I don't know if I'd give it that many Z's and amazing, but, uh, you know. Uh, and he also mentions uh, the award show was definitely a uh, high point of 2020. Oh, it's really kind of you, man. We just kind of oh, farted that one well, out and it's to- stuck. Um, and I, I just, no, I, I just wanted to add, Graham, while we talk over each, let's keep talking over each self, that, each I self, that's fine. Yep. Okay. Yep. But no, but then, yep. so one day in Bandcamp, um, we've actually got three other follow-ups to Yoast and Glickenhaus. So do you want to kind of combine them into, uh, a jello of information? Of course. My understanding is that, well, first and foremost, to answer the first point, yes, I was tracking down whether or not it was true indeed that Yoast Racing was looking at LMP2. They may very well still be looking at LMP2, but it would appear that this is their primary WEC program. They've been involved in the Click and House program for a little wee while now. Um, so what do I expect their role will be? I think expect their role will be at track uh, engineering of that car. Um, uh, the logistics that are uh, that come along with that car. So I think they're going to be the service provider, if you like, um, for running the race cars, likely at test and development sessions, as well as at the WEC races that the Glickenhaus SCG 007 cars are set to uh, contest. To, to wrap up something that's not in those questions, but I'll just cover it anyway, because I think there was a bit of confusion about what's going to happen with Glickenhaus. There was, uh, I think some of uh, Jim Glickenhaus's answers have confused people because he talked about a customer car. We're talking about two cars, is my understanding. He has previously said there's been interest in a third, but I don't think we're in that world yet. The customer aspect is one of those cars is owned, I believe, by J- uh, James and Jesse Glickenhaus. The other car has been sold to a customer, w- will be operated by the factory team. That is the customer car, the second car in the Glickenhaus side of things. So, yes, it is a standard package, I believe, of technical support and logistics from Eurst Racing for Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus for the 2021 FIA WEC. There we go. What about some of the other uh, bits here? Uh, knowing that uh, we fill up quite a bit on Yoast Yoast uh, from a few oh, others. I think the, 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 the clear other question is, is this Yoast's bid to try to be part of a Porsche or a Audi LMDH program? Of course, they're interested in doing that. And of course, to be blunt, they've probably got the best uh, contacts, Rolodex, or whatever other form of address book you could possibly have in trying to get that. Will they get that? There's an awful lot of other people that want it. The reality, I think, for US Racing, though, is that they would want to be involved with the factory program. They would not be a team that would be looking to do this as a customer uh, program. That may be the biggest restricting factor in whether or not you to get the nod for that. They are not a WRC or a Phoenix or, you know, insert name of other uh, astonishingly able uh, customer team that might be able to put together something that's semi-factory. I think that's the that's the key point there. I think they'd be interested in a factory deal or nothing. Um, would also say, was aware that Yoast Racing... Uh, we're looking at or maybe close to a parallel GT race program, potentially in the Adec GT Masters. Whether or not that comes forward remains to be seen. I think that's going to depend on just exactly what resource they do have uh, back at base. What's next? 
We're going to is it Stathis Coco? Holy crap! We got a Stathis Coco question to open the season here. Uh, it says LMDH is a platform that can be developed faster than LMH with loads of spec parts for Audi and Porsche to come in 2023. That seems like a very long time. Can you see them competing in some WEC races at the end of 2022? I have asked that specific question to both manufacturers, and they both tell me the answer is no. So whether or not that changes in the meantime, but they both told me very specifically the answer is they are looking at an entry in 2023. My guess, why would they be that specific, is because that's exactly what's been signed off by the board. So the answer there is, uh, would it be possible? Yes. Uh, Is it going to happen? No. We're going to... Uh, home two in a row. Jacob Bame. We've got a couple of all stars wow. following one another wow. here. Uh, what will be Frederick Lequins? I'm struggling a little bit on the last name pronunciation. Uh, first order business as the new head of LMEM, and why will it be legalizing sandbagging? Uh, Dennis Prokniak has a, a follow up question on Frederick. Um, and then yeah, we'll uh. Doug Bonham has one that hits a little closer to home to you on travel. Okay. So um, as for Frederick, not met him, not spoke to him yet. I've reached out to find out when and whether he will be speaking to uh, media. I'm told not to expect that for some weeks yet. That's not a surprise. Um, It's going to be interesting to see just exactly what his brief is, whether or not it matches what uh, the outgoing CEO of LMEM Uh, Gerard Naveau had or whether or not there's any subtle or major changes to that. We have heard there's a likelihood that ACO President Pierre Fion will want to be taking a very much more upfront role with the WEC in particular. Um, But there's a little way to go uh, to find out just exactly what's what. What will be some of the big things on his agenda? I think it will be that uh, making sure that the process of um, the convergence Uh, will be orderly. I think it's going to be particularly, it would be uh, silly to think that the major thing that wouldn't be on the uh, mind of anybody running a major championship at the moment, it's the sheer logistics of making sure that you can put together and maintain a calendar. Uh, That is going to be an ongoing matter for every single international race series. I think that's pretty uh, pretty much enough for the first two or three months to nail down a calendar and to make sure that everything is in place, not just the, the logistics, but also the contingency planning that is going to be required. We've already talked about that in relation to the potential for Sebring to go ahead or otherwise. That, that for me, is going to be job number one. Right now, we all have these little kind of sound bites we use. When I try to explain to people what the difficulty is with our business of motorsport at the moment, the difficulty with motorsport at the moment is the inability to plan. It is that inability to plan with certainty that the things that you want to put in place and spend your money on will actually happen. Uh, What he should be looking to do as a first priority is to de-risk that as much as is humanly possible. It's not going to be possible to de-risk all of it, but to just get to the stage where there are plans in place, there are contingency plans in place, and all of the above is communicated adequately to his team, to their partners, and to their customers, the teams. That, to me, should be uh, the first two or three lines in the brief that he's getting on day one. 
As for the travel restrictions, uh, who's that one from? That's from Doug Bonham. Is there any clarity yes. on restrictions to and from the UK now that we're officially into 2021? Both WC and NMS avoided scheduling events at Silverstone, likely out of abundance of caution, since the deals have been finalised. Wonder if this will have a bigger impact. Um, the, the problem at the moment, I think, is it's the great unknown. COVID isn't helping, without a shadow of a doubt, and the options for travel and logistics are far far fewer i'll give you one that crossed my desk um for a completely different reason just a week or so ago which is to do with the eurostar service for those that don't know the eurostar service is uh the high-speed rail service that links london brussels and paris generally speaking you get a train about every 40 minutes was astonished to be told that uh, i don't know if it's still at that that level right now but for extended periods we've had just one train a day uh, going from london to paris and from london to brussels because there's just not the custom for it right now certainly things like flights availability of flights at the moment is a major issue for anybody like me looking to get from a to b around the world and that is going to be amplified dramatically if you're trying to get freight and people in numbers more than one um, reliably and on given dates between point A and point B, because, of course, if you're adding days to those trips, that adds further complications in terms of the uh, COVID uh, protection side of things and indeed for things like hotels. Let me give you, for instance, before we get on to the UK bit. In the latter part of 2020, I had three reasons to get on an aircraft to get from my home to a place where I was being paid to do some work. Okay, If I counted up the days that I was actually being paid to be on the ground in those places, it would be nine or ten in those three places. The actual number of days that I needed to be in those places because of the availability of flights to get me there and get me back was double that number simply because there were not flights available on the dates I needed them to be going to the places I needed to be. It wasn't a matter of expense or otherwise. It was simply there are not flights taking off between those two places. Um, So that's a real world problem when you're trying to get people and goods to and from, because obviously if you're not getting that, there's, you know, the freighting flights aren't ongoing either, et cetera, et cetera. As for the UK, de-risking it's as simple as that you know uh, i'll say this straight up um our nation has voted and our government has supported um the notion that we should be leaving the european union um you want my opinion on it it's the most boneheaded decision that my nation has made in my entire lifetime and we will live to regret that uh what it means is that anybody doing business with us has the option to decide whether or not that places risks on their business. As you'll have seen, uh, quite rightly, Doug, you've pointed out, more or less all of those organisations that deal with endurance racing in the UK uh, have decided that they're not going to take that risk. There are other factors as well. There have been some some, uh, commercial fallings out between some of the the, uh, the, uh, the race organisers and some of the circuit operators. But principally, I believe the issue here is de-risking it that uh, they, they, if they can't be confident their other customers can move from A to B to get out of the UK in time, why would you do that? Will they come back? I think the answer to that is going to be um, going to come 
back in two uh, two parts. One is what happens with COVID, and two, what happens at our borders through 2021. There's a lot of work to do. Um, I won't pretend that this whole situation doesn't make me anything other than angry, because it does. I think it's an absolutely pointless uh, example of how can I put this nationalistic tub thumping that is going to cost our economy dear and is going to cost the industry which I'm part of dear it's already costing our industry dear um, I think it was a pointless exercise that's going to do an awful lot of damage it does make me cross by all means feel free to ask me about it uh, and if you see me in a paddock somewhere but be, expect not to have agreement if you you come and uh, give the pro-Brexit argument because it's nonsense um, so the, the answer I think here is that it's going to have to play itself out through 2021 and the those responsible for delivering the new systems at our borders i've got a lot to to um live up to here it, it better work because if it doesn't work i'm here to tell you doug that might have gone for a long time and that's not the wc's fault and it's not sro's fault and it's not anybody else's fault other than those that decided to put to make those decisions to change our trading conditions. It's a matter of choice. And you are entitled as a race organizer, as a businessman, business organization, to make a choice whether or not you think that the uh, prevailing conditions are putting your business, your wider business, your customers at risk. That's the decision that's been taken. It's not a decision that's been taken to punish the UK. It's been a it's been a clear-minded business decision because they don't know what they're going to be faced with. Should mention Graham that uh, would would have apologized to the person who submitted a uh, review of the podcast uh, recently. Uh, who said they really enjoyed you and I and our show, but uh, would no longer be listening because we sometimes uh, mention politics, which I know it's crazy, uh, and they only listen to get away from such things. And so therefore, Fine, I understand. I understand. we got two stars. So no, no, I'm actually being a little bit sarcastic because no, no, I it's that. not yeah. like we use the soapbox to espouse whatever else, but funnily enough politics and decisions of governmental uh, agencies over the last year have seriously affected what we do in motor racing. So anyways, um, I just found that to be a little bit precious. The The other thing I'd say here is this, on that front, there's no getting away from the fact my professional background was in politics in government. That's where I've learned a lot of the skill sets that I've actually got to, to communicate, including how I communicate on the weekend sports cars. That is, you know, life experience and a skill based upon experience and based upon fact. I, I have this argument constantly with people, which is, look, if you don't want me to get involved in your facile arguments about whether or not you're being lied to, don't ask me the question. But if you do ask me the question, I'm going to give you facts in return. If you've read something from someone you vaguely didn't know on the internet that you think is going to stand up to real life experience dealing with real situations with real senior politicians in real government in multiple countries, then here's the point. I'm not going to be listening to the bullshit that's actually spouted uh, where we've got multiple people in multiple countries with multiple political uh, interests and multiple uh, matters being outright lied to. It makes me very cross indeed. You know, I spent 30 years proudly 
answering really difficult questions from people looking to trip up my then employers and never once, never once told an untruth. Never. I'm disgusted that we live in a world now where untruth is the currency. Disgusted. It does make me extremely cross. I don't want to bring this 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 debate down, MP, but it, it makes me – it's very little else makes me as angry as what I see now at a point where we need stable government more than we probably have at any point in your and my lifetime. Enough of that, but please don't criticise me for talking about politics. It affects my life as well as yours and everybody else's, but I do get the point you want to escape it. Two things. I'm going to stop listening to the show, and I'm going to go leave a two-star review for what for your everything you just said, you bastards. So, um, and hey, I mean, look, we haven't even mentioned that we're recording this on a Thursday. We oh, please, intended please please, to record this don't. on a Wednesday, we but then some of my countrymen and women decided, hey let's riot and try and overthrow the government. So we decided that maybe we weren't in the mental headspace that would be conducive to a vaguely entertaining show, but we haven't even mentioned that. So therefore there's nothing to talk about. Uh, Graham Goodwin, we have time for like one or two or three others. We haven't gotten to uh, the other two categories. So we're definitely going to have to try and circle back this weekend, all based on your uh, responses here. Uh, Ty Gary, you asked something about uh, will sleeping be canceled because of lockdowns and whatnot uh, in Europe and the UK. But uh, the question that he poses that might be a fresh angle here, Graham, plan B? Any rumors? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we always knew that um, they have done some contingency planning. Uh, I believe if there is going to be a contingency plan, it would be a race in uh, in Europe, of course, the major point to make there is if that's going to be the case and it's going to be improved at the same time scale, they are going to have to communicate that to the teams very quickly because that massively affects uh, the logistics that are going to be put in place for uh, the teams. So I do believe that we are talking about a potential contingency that involves another race in Europe. I've heard a couple of circuits mentioned in that regard. It would be the usual suspects on mainland Europe, without a doubt, because, of course, they're used to dealing with uh, LMEM, NCO rules racing. Uh, they're familiar to all the uh, – so, you know, amongst the, the circuits you might want to be thinking about, of course, if places like, places like Paul Rickard should also be taking into account potential climate uh, intervention at that point. You know, what's going to be – so somewhere in the south of Europe, I think, would be smart, whether or not it would be Portimao, I think unlikely. My guess would be if there is going to be a change, we will find ourselves in the glorious south of France once again. So yet another 10 hours on the road in the – uh, the DSC battle bus. Wow. Uh, let's see. Winding down to the last one or two. John Schultz uh, says, I recently saw the team Walken horses fielding two M6 GT threes in the Asian Le Mans series. If they would achieve to win a Le Mans auto entry, what would they compete with? Of course, it'd be great to see the M8 GTE back at Le Mans, but is that realistic? I think it's absolutely realistic. I mean, I'm looking forward to having a quick chat with the team when I see them. Um, but my guess is that presumably is what they're looking to do. I can't think they'd be looking to do anything else. It would be extraordinary to have a team that's that heavily linked to Volkanhurst running in a different car. There are certainly M8 GTEs sitting idle at the moment. There are at least three other cars to the two that are still in service in IMSA. 
so I might very well be more than that. But uh, there's every reason to expect that they'd be looking to try to win the entry for the Le Mans 24 hours. In what, by the way, with uh, further two cars accepted into the entries, now 21 car GT class for the Asian Le Mans series, 38 cars overall now, massive increase on the previous record. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing that's exactly what they want to, to be looking at. So might we see the big boy uh, MHGT back at Le Mans? We just might. Um, we just might. I think we've got some surprises coming with the driver squads for uh, Asia Le Mans as well as elsewhere. We've already seen again some astonishing uh, crews emerging in the LMP classes. There's more to come later this week to be announced. Uh, a couple more, I believe, we might hear tomorrow uh, as we're recording this on the Thursday. So the uh, TPAs are rapidly being uh, being um, being kind of scratched through and with such a big entry by the way in gt marshall the way that it actually works with the auto entries is the more cars you've got in the class for full season the more auto entries you win so it will be uh, two three four maybe gt teams from that asian le mans series entry may well be going to le mans in 2021 so could we see a bmw it's absolutely not out of the question whatsoever all right, we are going to Jacob Bain. James Counter with Maserati reported to have shelved their GT3 plans for the MC20. Could we see this race in some other category, maybe hypercar? So uh, that uh, that's a story that I've been chasing down for some little wee while, came my way uh, the latter part of last year, uh, reached out to Maserati UK, reached out to Maserati Italy with the, hey guys, I gather that the initial plan to potentially do a GT3 version of this car has been shelved. I have had zero response, which is why you'd have read on Daily Sports Car the story that is asking the question, has it been shelved? I don't know. I've been told it has, but uh, there has been a nil response. Uh, my guess is it's a, it's likely to have been a COVID casualty. Uh, we've seen further issues uh, in terms of the parent company, massive uh, merger between the parent company uh, that looks after Maserati. Um, do I expect to see the brand in another major form of motorsports? I suspect what you're going to probably see is something that's more one make for that car. Very pretty little thing it is too. Uh, but yes, it's a source of regret that, they're, that they're, if they're not going to do GT3, it's certainly probably um, not a GT4 standard car. I think it's a bigger uh, bang for the buck than that. GTE appears to be dematerializing before our very eyes so the answer i think is one make racing if anything for the new mc20 do i expect they're going to go prototype racing with maserati i just don't see that but i wouldn't necessarily completely count out maybe something in lmdh with the maserati badge on it uh, could that be you know one of these outliers that we keep being told are there in the background could be um, could very well be, uh, but not hearing any major rumors of that right now. Jacob Bame, you are taking us home for this episode. Uh, let's see. You've got two questions here. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. You've got two questions we've highlighted. I would not want to <laughs> insult you by saying you only submitted two. And funnily enough, uh, let's see, uh, the one, one of them that we didn't, uh, highlight is one you've said that's your third attempt. So I guess we probably got to do that, uh, on part two. Uh, you say is United Auto Sport done announcing their WEC program for 21 or can we still count on 
A second car materializing in a similar vein with hypercar not looking to be more than five cars for the season. Is LMP2 having 10 plus cars still a possibility? And then uh, uh, you've got the second question you can take to close. Right. Okay. Uh, the answer is no, United Autosports are not done with their WC announcements. I do expect there to be two LMP2 cars. To add to the fun there, oddly enough, I was talking to another team principal today uh, who I knew were looking at the potential to do a full season uh, LMP2 effort for WEC. They may now do maybe uh, race by race. I think we're looking at around 10 cars unless there's some big surprises to come. Um, it's going to be around, let's put it this way, There's, I, I can't see any possible way it's fewer than nine. Um, I think getting up to more than 10 is distinctly possible because there's likely to be something out there that I'm not currently aware of. But double figures is about where we're at for the LMP2 class, for the hypercar class with um, with everybody um on track, we're looking at probably six cars for this coming season, two Toyotas, two Glickenhauser by Collis at some point. We don't know what the, uh, the status of that one is. And because it's in the hypercar class, that grandfathered LMP1. So you're looking at about a 16-car combined LMP2 grid for GTE Pro cars, we believe, the two Ferraris and the two Porsches. And I am expecting well into double figures for the uh, GTE AM class. I could run through that uh, probably in, in answer to another question at some point. But I'm expecting uh, representatives from Porsche, multiple Ferrari, multiple, multiple, and Aston Martin, multiple at the very least. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're going to be 30 plus a uh, well-subscribed FIWC for the 2021 season. It may not be the mix that you personally would prefer, but uh, the number of cars is going to be pretty healthy as we wend our way towards the brighter dawn and the sweeping pastures of 2023. Now, the uh, said the other one from Jacob. The last was... question you highlighted there, the very last one. Let's have a quick look. Uh, oh, yes, that's right. When can we... Well, when can we expect ACO to state their position on the LMDH debut date? Part of, uh, he says, Jacob wants to believe it will launch in 2022 so LMP1 can die in peace, but 2023 does look more realistic. Then again, if they delay, does it mean P1 might stay for 2022? What say you? I don't think at the moment they have any intention of allowing P1 to, to wipe over into 2022. Remember, the big ticket item for 2022 is the arrival of Peugeot. At that point, there is a fair um, point to be made. You've got two Toyotas. You've got two Peugeots. You would expect the Glickenhaus, uh, if it's even remotely um, competitive, will stick around uh, for that year. We would like to think that uh, Bicolis uh, will as well. And you know, who knows what else will will um, be in the mix for that. So the answer is it's going to get more healthy between now and 2023. And certainly the, the additional numbers with Peugeot should be of very high quality. Would By the way, uh, would add here uh, a bit of a push towards people. Just have a quick look at Auto Hebdo today, who appear to have a bit of an inside line on the drivers for the Peugeot uh, uh, program. They're naming, I'm being very sure about their naming, which tends to mean they've got good information, at least five of those six seats that they expect to be available in the Peugeot factory program. So good 
uh, good work by uh, Thibaut at Autoebdo, available in French only, but Google Translate, of course, is available. Uh, so do commend that good work to you before someone else takes credit for that work. Um, but How do you say Google reality- Translate in French, by the way? Uh, Google Translate. Oh, okay, got it. Now I know what to look okay. for. Oh, sorry, you meant French, not a French accent. Uh, there you go, fine. Uh, the, mm. um, but I, I think Google is Google. Uh, but um, but yeah, translate, not a clue. I'm, I'm sure it probably comes from the Latin, doesn't it, translate? But that's where we are at the moment. Um, things are rolling on. I would put, make the point here, by the way, uh, perfectly correct to have this tone around at the moment that is got concern about LMP2 and, you know, a little bit vanilla in terms of single chassis for the most part and LMP3 coming in as a, you know, placeholder, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just stop for a moment and remember where we are in this world. Massive, enormous commercial pressures coming to bear on manufacturers and on those private teams and, frankly, on all their customers as well. That's number one. Number two is COVID is not done. We're not through this yet. And when we are through this, there are going to be significant points to be um, to be dealt with commercially through this. Please, when you're thinking about what it is you would like to be, uh, you know, the position for the part of the sport that we all love, bear all that in mind. We've got a lot of people at the moment working very, very hard just to get through to the other side. And I'll put my hand up and say I'm one of them. Okay, this is not an easy business to be a part of right now. I'm sure it's the same for you, Marshall Pruitt. Um, It's not an easy business to be part of right now. And we're all trying to work together to get to a point where we've got things that we can massively look forward to. It is great to actually have, you know, something, a, a light at the end of the tunnel that appears to be getting brighter. We just hope it's not the train coming. Uh, but it's at the moment. Try to keep positive. We mentioned politics before. It's a poisonous place, isn't it? You know, I try not to get too involved in it. I know everybody else tries that too. Keep yourselves cheerful. Most of all, keep yourselves well. Keep positive. You know, look after each other. Enjoy the sport as best as you possibly can because it should be a joyful thing. And as we wrap up for what I think is certain at this moment, uh, MP, to be part one of two for this week... We're going to wrap up this uh, part of it by saying thank you to all of you for a fabulous 2020 and for a hell of a start to 2021 with a massive bundle of questions. We're going to say thank you to Cooper Tyres, to torontomotorsports.com and thank you to the Justice Brothers for their continued support of the weekend sports cars. Thank you, of course, to you, Marshall Pruitt, and what's another very busy day on the home front for you guys. This has been the weekend sports cars part one of edition one for 2021. We will see you later this week.